This is the time to heal in America. A call for unity. No surrender. President Trump vows to fight. Our numbers started miraculously getting whittled away in secret. We'll go behind the scenes of his Florida win. I'm going to work as hard as I always do. Madam Mayor, hear from Miami-Dade's history-making new executive. My um, storm drain is full, and I don't know where to go. Stormy Sunday. Rough weather, rough politics, we've got it covered. This week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. What a week since we were together last. We have a new president-elect. We have two new members of Congress. We have a new county mayor and an all-too-familiar issue with the weather. We will get to all the politics in just a minute. First, though, let's get to the latest on Tropical Storm Ada from meteorologist Brandon Orr. Brandon, where is that storm right now? Well, it's actually moved offshore of Cuba, so it's well on its way to South Florida. It's moving across the Florida Straits now. It's back out over the open water and does have some potential now to strengthen. If you saw our updates earlier this morning, but haven't seen that 10 a.m. advisory that came out, they did bump the wind speeds up a little bit to 65 miles per hour. We had uh, hurricane hunters that flew through this a couple of times and they found that the winds, yeah, they're still pretty strong. And I know it doesn't look too impressive from satellite, but when you do radar out of Cuba, we've seen that. It, uh, it's kind of like an x-ray into the storm. It showed us that it still had a very good structure to it. It still looked rather healthy. So that's why it's still a fairly strong storm. And now the Hurricane Center has been watching this and thinks that, hey, this could turn into a weak Category 1 hurricane as it's moving across the Keys. That's going to be late tonight. Maximum sustained winds at 75 miles per hour. And then uh, as we get up towards Miami and Fort Lauderdale, I know we are decent ways away out of the cone, but we're going to see some high winds and also a whole lot of rain. We're getting it right now. Extend far out from the center of the storm. So don't look at the exact track too much. We want to look at some of the impacts, and that's what we're doing now, starting with the rain that we have ongoing. It's pretty heavy. Flood warning in effect from Boca Raton. Fort Lauderdale, Aventura, all the way down through downtown Miami and Miami Beach. We do have lots of flooding ongoing, especially around some of the neighborhoods in Fort Lauderdale. This warning expires at 1:15, but don't let it fool you into thinking that the flooding's going away at 1:15. They're probably going to have to extend this out farther. I don't see the flooding going down into this afternoon. If anything, it may come up a little bit more. Look at all the rain. We have to go. We are fully locked in the widespread rain at this point. It's been a little bit more spotty down here by the Keys, but check out some of this heavier rain starting to get itself together. It's going to take a little bit longer for the winds to pick up and the rain to pick up as heavy down by the Keys, but we'll certainly get it in Hollywood. Look at the palm fronds blowing around a little bit. It's already windy. These are, are gusts. Sustained winds about 20, 25, but occasional gusts to around 40 miles per hour. We're starting to see that down in Homestead, and I know the winds. Hey, look, uh, it's picking up a little bit in Key West, gusting to 30. It was lower than that over the past hour. So what has changed in the past hour and a half is we've seen an upgrade to a hurricane warning across parts of the Keys, and then we're still kind of holding out up towards Miami-Dade and Fort Lauderdale. The only warnings up there in terms of tropical is uh, tropical storm warnings. We're still expecting some pretty strong wind gusts, and this is how we expect it to play out. This is going into the afternoon, 1 o'clock. Sure, some of these wind gusts may approach 55, 60 miles per hour. We've already seen some measured gusts around Fort Lauderdale of 60 
in some of these rain bands. And this is when it kind of is at its worst. This is going to be around midnight, 1 a.m., especially in this band in the Keys. This is where we can get those wind gusts to 85 miles per hour. The rest of us could get an occasional gust to 70 or 75. And then there's still a few rain bands to go through on Monday, but I think conditions will slowly improve. The other aspect to this is the rainfall, 6 to 10 inches of rain expected that could cause some flooding in terms of surge from Golden Beach to the south of the Keys, two to four feet with some moderate beach erosion as well. Thankfully, it looks like conditions will really start to improve during the day on Tuesday. So we just have to hold out the next 48 hours with the worst of it coming tonight. Michael and Glenna, I will be back here if we get any updates. I'll be here. Great, Brandon. Thanks very much. As we all know, many neighborhoods in Fort Lauderdale have been plagued by flooding in the past. Looks like Tropical Storm Ada is going to make that happen again. Yeah, we were just looking at that on the radar, and local TED reporter Trent Kelly is live in Fort Lauderdale for that first-hand look. Wow, Trent, what's behind you? A lot of water and nowhere to go at the moment. You're exactly right, Glenna. This is Long Island Avenue, right in the middle of uh, Fort Lauderdale's Melrose Park neighborhood. And yeah, just take a look down the street behind me. It practically looks like a river right now. We've seen the water just steadily rise out here throughout the morning as the rain has continued to fall. In fact, in some areas down the road here, the water is even surpassing the sidewalk. These neighbors, they tell me they've complained to the city numerous times about some of the drainage issues. While the city does have some pump trucks out here, you can see the water still creeping dangerously close to some homes. Tropical downpours turning roads into rivers in some parts of Fort Lauderdale this morning as Tropical Storm Ada continues to churn offshore. In the Melrose Park neighborhood, floodwaters completely covered some streets and even the sidewalk, too. We saw one police cruiser pushing through the high water on Long Island Avenue, a scene many neighbors say happens far too often. People living out here tell me anytime there's a major rain event, they usually see street flooding just like this. One of the big problems they believe are some of the storm drains, some of which do not appear to be working. My um, storm drain is full and I don't know where to go. This is my home. Linda Lau has been living in the neighborhood for the past three decades. She says the flooding has only gotten worse as surrounding areas continue to get built up, leaving low-lying Melrose Park at risk. Every rain event, it floods really bad, and we have no street lights here. Uh, so at night, people could really get in bad accident and no speed uh, bumps, no nothing. On Saturday, crews from the Fort Lauderdale Public Works Department began proactively pumping flood-prone areas, including Melrose Park, where the ground is already saturated from previous rainfall. They're asking any residents who see additional flooding or blocked storm drains to report it to the city's customer service center, along with an exact location. Yeah, and back out here live again, another live look at one of those pump trucks in action. We've seen them circling the area here for about the last hour. Still, though, a lot of the water remains. By the way, we posted that number for the city's emergency operations. If you want to report some flooding, you can find that on my Twitter page at Trent Kelly WPLG. We're live in Fort Lauderdale. Michael Glenna, back over to you.
Uh, Trent, thanks. All right, enough with weather for the moment. Let's move on to politics. The 2020 election is in the books for the most part, but getting there has not been easy nationally or locally. Miami-Dade voters elected the county's first female mayor, the strong CEO, nonpartisan position in a politically divided county. Daniela Levine Cava won that race by eight points, and she is with us today live. Madam Mayor-elect, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Glenna. Good morning, Michael. Great to be with you on this stormy day. It is indeed. Uh, Madam Mayor, let me begin sort of with your analysis of the election. Here we had in Miami-Dade County two popular Democratic members of Congress, both of whom were defeated, Donna Shalala, Debbie Mukasel Powell. You won by eight points. What set you apart? Did all the, because you obviously got some independents, maybe some Republicans as well. You won, they did not. Why did that happen? You know, I ran a bipartisan campaign. I ran on local issues, especially in the pandemic. People wanted somebody that has the track record, has the will, uh, the commitment to care for people across this county. And uh, people saw my heart. They knew that I am ready to serve and help all of us get through this difficult time. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the plan for COVID and addressing how to deal with COVID in just a minute. I just wanna, while we're on the horse race here, I wanna pick up where Michael left off. The, the sort of red wave that Miami-Dade saw, really, I think we talked a lot about it, hinged on Democrats being painted as socialists. That was a narrative from the get-go, um, and largely Democrats could not get in front of it, including from Joe Biden down to the congressional races. Um, in your race, your opponent, fellow commissioner Steve Bovo, went there. And early on, especially right after the primary, he said, we're not going to let Miami-Dade become a San Francisco or a New York. There are people in this county who really fear that, and, and I'd like to hear you address that. Speak to them for a moment, if you would. I am very focused on Miami-Dade. I am in love with this beautiful community. I've been working across the whole county for 40 years. Uh, we have Miami uh, challenges and we have Miami solutions. Um, you know, we're going to find innovation to help us get through this difficult time, and we're going to do it our own way. Uh, Madam Mayor, let's talk then about COVID-19. This community has really been devastated by it in terms of personal loss. Uh, more than 3,500 deaths, 180,000 or so uh, cases, and we are seeing an uptick in the number of cases right now. Now, you've talked about appointing a chief medical officer. Do you have someone in mind? Have you offered that job to someone? Uh, well, yes, I do, but I'm not ready to announce. And I've also spoken to leaders at uh, both of our major academic institutions, at our uh, primary hospitals. We're going to work together to have one message, one voice. I also spoke to our emergency management director for the state yesterday. We are going to work together uh, with the governor's office as well. Ideally, we will be able to launch a very clear campaign that makes sure everybody understands it's on us to take those precautions. It's been clear from the outset, masking, disinfecting, washing, social distancing, these, these are the steps we have to take along with aggressive testing, contact tracing, and isolation. If you are potentially exposing uh, yourself, if you've been uh, potentially uh, infected as well. And you've been working, you as a commissioner, your fellow commissioners, uh, the current mayor, Mayor Jimenez, has been working with a team of scientists since 
the get-go, really, in March or April. We've been hearing that message so much. So right now we're eight months in. We're actually on what everyone is considering to be a second wave right now. I know hospital numbers have been going up just this week. H how do you foresee starting here, eight months in, in a second wave, and, and sort of catch up or take what we have now and go forward? It, it's got to it's gotta be a different process, right? Again, I think we have not had a clear single message. I think there's been confusion. Uh, I am the collaborator in chief. Already I've met with uh, the city of Miami mayor, the Miami Beach mayor. Uh, I can, we're going to have a unified approach and we're going to spend our, our time and our, uh, our money behind that message and bring in the business community because nope, nobody is affected more than the business community. So we need them to be on board with that simple message that is is on us to take these precautions just to follow up on on something you just said what, what money what funding are don't we see now that you are going to be tapping mm -hmm. we still have some of the remaining cares act dollars uh, also the state still has some cares act dollars and hopefully we're going to see some more money coming down from the federal government uh, because we're not through this thing yet we have so much to attend to um, it's also going to be collaborative across the, the agencies, the universities, the business community. I think we can do this much more efficiently and effectively and, and get our, our points across to the public so yeah. that everybody is taking the precautions. Uh, yeah, Madam Mayor, you clearly are aware, made it a big point in your campaign. The tourism industry in Miami-Dade County, along with the restaurant industry, hospitality, just devastated by this pandemic. Here you're talking about maybe a new relief bill coming out of Washington at some point, but what is your message to restaurateurs, to hotel owners, to cab drivers, all the people who work in, in the hospitality industry here? Again, if we take our precautions, if we take them seriously, if we don't uh, pretend that the virus has gone away, we can tamp this thing down. So that is going to be my message. As soon as I'm in office, we're going to bring everybody together for a shared common message. Uh, and I think that we can take care of it that way. Mayor-elect Daniela Levine-Cava, sit tight. We have a quick break. We will be back with more Thanks on the other side. Thanks very much. We are back with Miami-Dade's mayor-elect Daniela Levine-Cava, history-making in many ways. And mayor-elect, we'd like to talk a little bit about one of those overarching issues that Miami-Dade deals with from time beginning. And that is you have a really clear split in this county between pro-growth people and hold the line people. What do you say, you know, so much of what we just talked about in the last few minutes was for the people and collaboration and really focused on people. What do you say to those people whose livelihoods who rely on development and, and real estate? Um, where, where do you see you putting your money there? Yeah. So the good news is that we've had some recent studies, a whole process that we went through that shows that we have adequate space uh, to build out for a growing population without moving our urban development boundary line for 15 to 20 years. So we're going to continue that path. We're going to encourage our developers to look at infill opportunities. And I want to make that easier for them to do. We can do it by authorizing uh, what's called accessory dwelling units and existing parcels. We can increase density, per particularly along the transit corridors. 
we can uh, accelerate the time that it takes to get the permits approved, reduce the cost of building, um, many things that we can do to, to make sure that we are accommodating growth uh, without sacrificing our open spaces and our environment. Yeah, uh, Mayor like Levine Cava, you gave up your seat on the county commission to run for mayor. Obviously, you succeeded. Uh, that seat is now open. There are 12 now instead of 13 members of the commission. Uh, the commission may either appoint someone to fill out your unexpired term or call a special, a special election. What is your preference? You know, they're going to be meeting right away, second day on the job, to make this decision. It is a decision for the commission. I'll support them in what they decide. Uh, I'll support them in what they decide. All right. Well, let me follow up then. There are four new members of this commission, and they are quite different. I mean, the commission hadn't changed in years. Boy, it has really changed. Keone McGee, Democrat from South Dade, uh, Renee from Hialeah. Uh, Raquel Regalado, Oliver Gilbert from Miami Gardens, Kian Hardeman from the city of Miami. Boy, this is a whole different animal. How do you plan, how collegial are you going to be? What is your anticipated relationship with them? Good news for me is that I know all of these new members very, very well. I've worked with each of them for many years. They're all very fine, dedicated public servants. And uh, we've started to have some conversations about their interests and their priorities, and we're going to work together to get things done. You know, Mayor-elect, I want to share with you some experiences that we've had when we were out talking to early voters in what was such a nationally focused campaign. And we found more than a few voters who were rushing to the polls to vote for either Joe Biden or Donald Trump, uh, maybe some partisan races down the line and not really have any sort of attention to the local races like Miami-Dade mayor. Speak, if you will, for a moment to those voters who are sort of ignoring local government. And I just want to say, it's not our viewers. Our viewers are the most engaged. <laughs> yes, for but sure. people we spoke to in the polls speak a little bit about the, the attention to local government that may not be there at the moment. Yeah, well, I think we did a really good job in our campaign of getting the word out. We created a lot of excitement, a lot of momentum. Uh, around the race and particularly around getting me elected because I am not a status quo politician, not a career politician. People really saw that I would be an agent for positive change. So I think that as I get going, uh, they will be excited about the things that I'll be bringing as mayor. And uh, hopefully there'll be that, that realization that what happens at home is really what's most important every day to quality of life. Yeah, and finally, very briefly, uh, we must remark upon the fact that you are the first woman mayor in the history of Miami-Dade County. Ruth Shack came close back in the 80s, wonderful person. Uh, so we congratulate you and congratulate the voters of Miami-Dade who said, hey, why not? So good going. <laughs> thank you, thank you, you heard me say it. Uh, definitely time for a woman. Okay. Thanks so much. Uh, well, thanks, we'll be following everyone. you a lot in the next few years, so great to see you, and thanks again. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone. You too. Thanks. All right, next, the power behind the curtain, the woman who orchestrated President Trump's, Trump's very big victory in Florida.
going into Tuesday's election, some polls in Florida had Donald Trump trailing Joe Biden by two to three points. Outlook was not completely rosy for the president, who had won Florida in 2016 by a narrow margin, little more than 1%, 113,000 votes. Well, the president won Florida Tuesday night and by more than 3% tripling his spread from 2016. That is a landslide by Florida standards. The woman largely credited with making that happen is Susie Wiles, veteran GOP strategist who ran successful campaigns for Florida's last two governors and headed Team Trump's Florida operations right there live with us from Ponte Vedra Beach. Good morning, Susie. Susie, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We, we are so glad to have you. So go through it, if you would. Um, how did you structure this winning campaign, I mean, you are really a political pro. You micro-targeted, you looked at certain segments of the population, appealed to them, advertised to them, and you reached them. I mean, they voted for President Trump in numbers unseen. Just one example, it appears that 11 or 12 percent of black voters in Florida voted for President Trump. Who would have thought that? Probably you. <laughs> Actually, 13%, which okay. which doubles um, the the percentage he received in 2016. We knew uh, going into this election that it really was time to change the Republican coalition. Um, the the traditional Republican voter coalition just simply can't, I don't believe, elect Republicans any longer. So beginning to uh, bring into the tent. A larger number of Hispanic voters, uh, certainly uh, making it palatable for African Americans to think about voting Republican. We 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 targeted, we talked to, we looked at um, vastly different voter groups than we had before. Um, we we talked to them. We understood what was important to them. We honored their traditions, and um, I'm I'm happy to say, proud to say that it worked. You used words that are so interesting just now. Make it palatable. <laughs> Is it, did you want to make it palatable or did you want to energize certain groups? And what was really, this is kind of like a double trouble here, what was really interesting to us is the Hispanic vote in Miami-Dade, in Miami the Latino vote in Florida, is hugely diverse. And yet, some of the most Democratic-leaning parts of that diverse electorate voted for Donald Trump. How, how it was much more than palatable. How did you, what did you do to get that energy? Um, where the Hispanic vote is concerned, um, people I think often make a mistake by talking about the Hispanic vote. It is a very diverse group, uh, Colombians, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, uh, Cubans, of course, but there are many, many, uh, many, many groups of Hispanics and to, to homogenize them, uh, you do it at your own peril. They, there are certain commonalities, of course, but, but there are also very distinct differences. To, so to take time to understand them, um, to honor their separate but also common heritage is, is important. And the president's campaign did that. And I think that a winning coalition will have to do that every time. How, how um, Susie, how important was the socialist narrative to that? Mm -hmm. and, and there are many, many reasons to understand that Democrats are not socialists, clearly. But how sure. important was that narrative? 
very important, whether it's first generation, second generation, sometimes even third generation um, Hispanics in Florida, they certainly understand uh, what that means and, and, and why that should never happen again. And using the, the Biden campaign's own words very, very often, um, we were able to talk about the president's strength in opposing that. Um, and so uh, it was effective. The palatableness um, that I referred to earlier was really more about African-American voters. They've, they, they have a long and proud tradition of voting Democrat. And so um, our effort was to simply say, look what this president has done in the black community and think about whether it's possible uh, whether it's possible to do something different this time around. And at least in a small number of cases, we made it possible. Yeah, uh, Susie, um, I think one of the most remarkable moments in the Florida campaign was a week ago Sunday night. Uh, I'm sure you were there at the Opalaka Executive Airport. Nearly 15,000 people, most of them, if not all of them, Hispanic out there to hear Donald Trump, who came in at the end of a grueling campaign day and really turned on that crowd. I mean, I think the main thing you had going for you with your strategically intelligent campaign was a candidate of huge stamina who really knew how to reach people. He did. And, and it was largely Hispanic, but it was diverse in every way. And the voters in Florida reward I believe somebody who really is out working for their support. And he did that time and time again. Um, it was the very end of a long and grueling campaign. People had been at that uh, rally site for hours and hours and hours, some overnight. So to have him come in, uh, appear not to be tired, uh, you know, really, really gave a, a stirring uh, get out the vote speech. It, it was the perfect end to what had been a 19 month campaign in Florida. Yeah. It was a perfect ending, I think, and people really felt it. The, uh, that rally and so many others, I mean, the campaign really carpeted South Florida, not only the candidate himself, but his family and his surrogates. But yeah. what was what's really interesting to see in the bigger picture is this end of the country has been so COVID, has so dominated the headlines and, and really devastated a lot of people and businesses. And yet the focus never was on the president's failures or actions. Uh, in this campaign. Was that by design? It wasn't by design or not by design. Um, the focus was on 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 other on other matters, other policies. And frankly, um, we talked as a campaign about his successes uh, in other ways that that turned out fortuitously to be as important or more important than COVID. Susie, um, here we have the results of yet another statewide election that has been won by a Republican candidate. You helped Rick Scott win two uh, elections and you worked also for Ron DeSantis. Is Florida a reliably red state now, no longer purple? Is it a predominantly uh, Republican state? It would be easy to think that, um, but I frankly don't. Um, candidates matter. Um, what they stand for matters. For example, um, arguably, Donald Trump has been the best president, uh, the best friend to Israel. 
in in recent memory, and so that allowed us to drive up uh, Jewish voters' uh, support for him in this election. That might not be the case next time. Uh, it might not be the case for support for things that uh, Hispanic Americans have come to, th to think about. So I, I, I think about it less as whether you're a Republican or a Democrat and more about what a candidate stands for. You would assume that you know Florida is in the red category reliably and always at your peril. It does matter. <laughs> Candidates matter. That's a tried and true saying, but I believe it. Susie Wiles, thank you for that peek behind the curtain. It is great <laughs> to have you on This Week in South Florida. Glad to speak Thanks with you, Susie. Me. Thanks very much. We've got a lot to talk about with the roundtable guests. So that is next. We're also waiting for a possible news conference with Miami-Dade's Mayor Carlos Jimenez on what we can expect in this uh, actual hurricane watch that South Florida is under, so stay tuned. We are so glad you are with us on this rainy Sunday. We are going to go now to our roundtable. What a week to talk about, and we have the right guests, so let's get to it. Two people with serious insider perspective on Florida elections. Fernando Mondi is a Democratic consultant and a veteran pollster. He runs Ben Dixon and Amandi International. Raquel Rocky Rodriguez heads Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney Law Firm in Florida, former general counsel to Jeb Bush, and was on the Bush legal team, George W., for the 2000 presidential recount. So good to see you both. Rocky, Fernand, welcome. Great to have you on this Sunday. Great to be here. Uh, how are you guys doing? Dry. Well, we're, <laughs> we're staying dry. We're doing, we're doing all right as long <laughs> as we stay dry. Uh, Fernand, let me begin with you with a kind of an obvious question. 53% uh, of the vote in Miami-Dade County. Oh, hold on. If you all will excuse us, we're going to take a little break here and Our join Carlos Jimenez, who's giving Baba, a news conference. Us. Let's join in. Miami-Dade County remains under a tropical storm warning, a storm surge warning, and a hurricane watch. Sustained winds between 40 and 60 miles per hour are expected to begin at 4 o'clock this afternoon and continue through 2 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Gusts could bring wind speeds to the lower range of a Category 1 hurricane, and there's also the possibility of tornadoes. From the middle of the county east to the coast, rainfall of 6 to 10 inches is expected from today through Tuesday with significant intermittent rain bands. Storm surge and rising waters are a concern for low-lying areas such as South Dade, and homestead. For residents in these areas, people living in mobile homes and those needing to take refuge, Fuchs Pavilion Evacuation Center is now open at 10901 Coral Way. That's 10901 Coral Way. It's really the youth fair, the youth fair grounds. You can enter at gate two. Please bring necessities including blankets, pillows, medicines, and required facial coverings. The evacuation center at South Dade High School also open at 11 o'clock this morning and bus routes have been modified to take people there. Transit operations will cease at two o'clock throughout Miami-Dade County. Parks, beaches, marinas, golf courses, and other public outdoor spaces have been closed. We will reevaluate Tuesday morning on uh, when to reopen based on weather conditions and any damage that may occur. You can get an update at miamidade.gov. All bridges in the county have already been locked down. Both solid waste and recycling collection have been suspended for Monday. Miami-Dade County government offices are closing. Miami-Dade County public schools have indicated they are closing as well. 
Florida Power and Light has 10,000 restoration personnel on hand to deal with any of the impacts from ETA. Backup from Texas has also been called in, so they are positioning additional resources into the area ahead of the storm's full impact. Everyone needs to be in final preparations for this weather. In the next couple of hours, you should already have secured objects that winds can blow around, such as garbage containers, patio furniture, garden tools, toys. Avoid setting out any yard waste or trash that can clog our stormwater system. Set aside enough tap water for each person in your household to have one gallon of water per day for three days, just in case. Also be sure you have a half a gallon of water for each pet, again, just in case. In advance of the storm, all COVID testing sites have closed and will remain closed until the storm passes and conditions are safe to reopen. Learn more about COVID testing at miamiday.gov slash COVID testing. For the most recent announcements on weather conditions, go to miamidade.gov slash emergency. I'll uh, take any questions now in English before uh, before I go on to Spanish. Okay, if anyone has a question in English, if you could either raise your hand or just, uh, let me see if I can hear, I only see one of the Spanish people raising their hand right now. Anybody have a question in English? I have local 10, seven, six, four, anyone? Okay, go ahead in Spanish, then, Mayor. Let's go. Thank you. Buenas tardes a todos. You have been watching the Miami-Dade mayor give a quick update on county operations for uh, Tropical Storm and what could be Hurricane Edo when it gets here. Uh, Congressman-elect Carlos Jimenez. Uh, so do stay tuned, of course, to Local 10, local10.com. We will have all of that information at your fingertips at all times. All right, now back to our roundtable, Fernanda Mandi and Rocky Rodriguez. As I was saying, we're glad that we got the information from the mayor. Fernand, um, Joe Biden won 54% of the vote in Miami-Dade County. It was just a pathetic, terrible, kind of an epic fail. What the heck happened? Well, Michael, to be honest, it was not a surprise to many of us uh, who had been kind of seeing these deteriorating numbers for Joe Biden in Miami-Dade County. You may recall our firm put out a poll in the Miami Herald in early September that showed that Biden was significantly underperforming what Hillary Clinton had done uh, four years ago, where she carried the county by almost 30 points. And of course, we now have the result from the election, which showed that that, that polling was on the money. And I think it was just a case where Republicans turned out in greater numbers than anticipated. Uh, the Democrats didn't quite necessarily turn out at the level that the Republicans did, although turnout was very high. We had a record turnout in Miami-Dade County. But I think the important thing to recognize is, number one, obviously, Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States. Uh, winning Florida would have been important, but that was not the war. The war was winning the presidency. That happened. And I think the other thing to look at is, Dade County is still a Democratic county, as you saw earlier with mayor-elect um, Daniela Levine-Cava. And I think having a Democratic mayor who won very much on partisan lines and what I think a lot of people acknowledge was a partisan race, and now having uh, Joe Biden in the White House means that a lot of these uh, efforts that were looked at and seen can be remedied in the next four years, and certainly by the time the 2022 elections come around. Rocky. Um is there a 
danger in, well, first let me say that the polls in Florida showing Biden up by a couple of points were actually very accurate because there's a margin of error. So the margin of error mm -hmm. makes it a dead heat. And, and so that actually was pretty accurate here. But Rocky, is there a danger in using daily polls as headlines to really gauge a race? Yeah, I think there is. And I have to commend Fernand. I remember seeing his uh, poll uh, results uh, before the election. And I was convinced about 10 days before Election Day that Trump was going to carry Florida based on what I was seeing, particularly uh, lack of enthusiasm for uh, Biden-Harris in areas that had gone wildly for President Obama back in 2012. But I, um, you know, the daily polls are just a snapshot in time. And in the end, what matters is the people who actually show up to vote. And I think that they, um, except for a couple of uh, polls like Trafalgar and Rasmussen uh, and even Fernand, they underestimated the Trump voters that were going to vote for Trump but did not want to say publicly to somebody that that was their intent. And so um, I think there is a, a, a risk in the daily polls. And I've got to add to respond to Fernand's point about uh, Miami-Dade being solidly Democratic. Um, I'm not sure that the election of uh, Daniela Levine-Cava was purely a, a partisan a vote. And what bears it out is the Republicans flipped two Democratic seats in Miami-Dade, uh, the 26 and 27 districts. Um, we had Mayor Carlos Jimenez and Maria Vera Salazar each won their races. And to me, uh, that speaks perhaps even more loudly that uh, there is a solid Republican support in Miami-Dade. Yeah, I think that's uh, indisputable, Rocky. All right, everybody sort of keep your places. We're going to take a break and be back with more Roundtable in just a minute. We are back with a lightning round version of the Roundtable because of weather today. Rocky Rodriguez, Fernanda Mondi. Rocky, Fernanda, I want you both, if you could, to weigh in on Florida. Went from a national punchline to a national model in elections. Rocky, you were around in 2000 when the rules were changed right after that recount. Uh, weigh in on that, if you would. Yes. Um, as you recall, 20 years ago when we had the famous Florida recount, the, uh, the issue was the chats, uh, the, uh, the punch card ballots. Uh, some of them did not register uh, votes, and that was the basis for Al Gore's challenge to the uh, recount here. Immediately after that, uh, Governor Bush uh, established a bipartisan commission to make recommendations on how to improve Florida's elections. And the legislature uh, adopted those recommendations, which the governor signed into law. Among those recommendations was eliminating the punch card ballots and adopting either optical scanners or the direct recording equipment that Florida has been using since then. In addition, we um, made it easier to vote in advance of the election. We eliminated uh, the, the uh, requirement for an excuse to file a, an absentee ballot, and we had no excuse to vote by mail. We had early voting. We uh, gave the supervisors of election the option to start counting the absentee ballots earlier, uh, which has been obviously a point of contention in some of the other states now that are in question. And, you know, every year it's been a pattern of continuous improvement. We learn from every election and we keep making um, improvements. And I got to give a big shout out to the people who've been running the election. Secretary of State Laura Lee, all the supervisors of election, especially um, uh, Christina White, Pete Antonacci, Wendy Link in South Florida. This has always been an 
Uh, where most of the issues have bubbled up when they have bubbled up. And they ran such an amazing election. I'm so proud of our state. And uh, I commend everybody, starting with Governor Bush and the legislature. Yeah, Rocky, I second that emotion. I think that Pete Antonacci, Christina White, all the supervisors really did a phenomenal job. Uh, Fernand, I just need to ask you this. You know, politics, you know better than many almost anyone, uh, is about symbolism as well as about anything else. You know, as corny, cliched as it might have been, I really wanted to see uh, Joe Biden put on a Wyabara shirt, go to Cafe Versailles, have a cafecito, at least say Buenos Dias. He did nothing like that. You know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, unfortunately, you know, especially here in the Hispanic community, we know how important it is to not only engage them directly and, and do the rituals, it just speaks to the connection. And I think, you know, the Biden campaign was a little slow-footed in that regard. Uh, obviously, President Trump's campaign had been engaged really in a permanent campaign mode for five years. Right. But look, Florida, as important as it is, I think these results are going to be a wake-up call, especially within the Hispanic community. Remember, Barack Obama got 48% of the Cuban vote in 2012. So the Democrats have shown when they engage in the way you described, Michael, they can get the support of the community. I really believe you're going to see those results quickly turn around, probably as soon as 2022. You know, just for the record, there was that despacito moment, but uh, <laughs> we won't go there at the moment. Listen, we wanted to be here with you another half hour, 40 minutes, but we got weather to attend to. So thank you, muchas gracias, for taking the time to be with us. Fernando Rocky, Rodriguez. thanks very much. Stay dry. Thank stay you. safe. And stay tuned. We have a very important weather update next. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Chief Certified Meteorologist Betty Davis. The weather going downhill all day today. We have gusty rains moving in across South Florida and also into the Keys. So let's check out what we see. This is the satellite and radar imagery and also some wind data on top of it. So we've already had winds gusting to near 40 in Fort Lauderdale. Pembroke Pines, a gusty shower came across your neighborhood. Winds gusted over 50 miles per hour. And notice we've got these winds from the east-northeast. So that onshore flow is going to play into this forecast for quite a while and we'll have a lot more details in terms of what this is going to mean in terms of keeping the wet weather around and also the flooding potential with that storm surge a threat for some areas. Meantime, I do want to get you the very latest on Tropical Storm Ada as of the latest advisory, oh, about 200 miles or so south southeast of Miami. Maximum sustained winds of 65 miles per hour. It's moving north at 14 miles per hour. And what we're noticing with the center of this system is it's now uh, back out over the water. So as it feeds off those warm waters, we'll have to watch for it possibly intensifying. And the official forecast for intensification from the National Hurricane Center, notice it does show it reaching winds of 70 miles per hour. So that's pretty close to hurricane strength. And also notice where this projected path is taking this system, taking that center down right across 
the Keys. So we've got to really pay attention to this as we may very well have this ramping up to a hurricane even before it makes that path over the Keys and crosses over toward the Gulf. It's going to be very close to it either way. But here's the deal with this system. A lot of the uh, shower, gusty thunderstorm activity, the bad weather is far north of the system and east of the system. So even if you don't have the core, say passing right over Miami-Dade or Broward, we're still going to get into some nasty weather. I'll time this out in terms of where the system is forecast to head moving beyond Monday, Tuesday, and notice it heads over into the Gulf of Mexico, and there's a lot of uncertainty as to how this track is going to play out, and throughout the day we'll be talking more about that. But I do want to bring it back to where we have the watches and warnings in place. There is a hurricane warning for the Florida Keys. That's what this red coloring is about. But also notice there's a hurricane watch Miami-Dade and eastern areas of Broward County and of course those offshore waters. So what this means is we could have some of these winds even up around Dade and maybe into areas of Broward gusting 70 plus miles per hour, 75 miles per hour perhaps, but down around the Keys, we could certainly get into some hurricane gusts as we play this out with that core coming pretty close to the Keys a little bit later tonight. Tropical storm warnings are in effect for the entire region, so we do know that we're going to get into a period of where these winds are coming in at 40, 50, even 60 miles per hour, and our model data is playing that out. A lot, lot more updates coming up for you here. Glenna? Betty, thanks. Thanks you. Thank you for being with us on This Week in South Florida. We are not going. Tracking ATA, continuing coverage on the one and only Local 10 News.